Well, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24, and today is a special momentous day. Anybody know why? What? I'm here all different kinds of things, and for the hard of hearing, that just sounds like a muddle. Somebody try louder. No, what? Last sermon in Luke. Do you know we started studying Luke two weeks after President Trump got elected? I mean, seriously, so almost four years, 24 chapters later, 81 sermons later, we're gonna finish it up. So you can do the math. So you see it wasn't all the time, right? You should take some comfort in this. You don't have Donald Gray Barnhouse for your preaching pastor. Donald Barnhouse, famous uh, pastor down 10th Presbyterian Church in the, in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, spent 15 years going through the book of Ephesians. Do you know how many chapters there are in Ephesians? 15 years, brothers and sisters. So I think I should deserve a little credit. One of the things that I think about, though, is that um, some of you who've been here a long time know this has been my pattern over the years, although it's changed somewhat. I used to preach, uh, when I started, mostly through books of the Bible, and then there would be like one or two topical series a year. Well, it's gotten to the points kind of reversed there, and I do a lot of topical series and intersperse a, a Bible book study along the way. But inasmuch as the end of next year will be the end for me. This is probably the last book. And so there's kind of some bittersweet uh, thoughts that go through my mind this morning as we kind of wrap up uh, the book of, book of Luke. This is Luke's story, this whole book, Luke's record of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his work, his words, his death, burial, and resurrection. And Luke tells us essentially that this is heaven's cure for the incurable human heart. We've called this the doctor's cure. It was kind of a, a, a double meaning. The doctor, because Luke was a physician, but it wasn't his cure. He was recounting the cure that only God could offer in Jesus Christ. And now in these final words in Luke, he records Jesus' farewell, his goodbye to his disciples. And so if you would um, join me in prayer, and then we'll read these couple of verses and uh, kick it off. Let's bow our heads together. Father, how great are your riches and your wisdom and knowledge it's impossible for us to understand your decisions and your ways. Isaiah warn, warns us that when we think thoughts, they're quite different from yours. Yours are higher. Uh, we, we, we conduct ourselves in certain ways. The way you conduct yourself is far different, much higher. Who among us can know your thoughts who among us is smart enough to give you advice and who of us has given you so much that you are indebted to us that you need to pay it back 
where everything comes from you, exists by your power, intended for your glory. All glory to you forever and ever. Lord, fill our hearts today with delight and soul satisfaction in who you are and what you've done. May our vision increase that our God, the one we worship, would not be small but big. Not mediocre but grand. Not insignificant but one whose significance would fill the world and indeed our hearts. And may the Spirit speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 24. And I'd like if we do something this morning, there are some churches that do this every week. Would you stand with me as we read the word of the Lord? Just a couple of verses. Verse 50, Luke 24. Then Jesus led them, presumably his disciples, to Bethany, and lifting his hands to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven. And so they worshiped him, and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The title of my message this morning is Worship the Lamb. Now, the first verse says Jesus left, led them to Bethany, lifting up his hands to heaven, he blessed them. What, what is blessed? I told Betty when I was working on this sermon, I said, maybe I'll finally figure this out. I have probably since um, shortly after I became a Christian, struggle with what is the meaning of the word blessed? Because you read it in Scripture, there's a, there's a lot of different ways it's used. A father blesses his son, God blesses us, we bless him. Just what is it? And I think if I'd have preached this message 25 years ago, uh, for those outside of the church especially, they would have gone, blessed? What, what's, what's that mean? Not today. You know, today you're on your way home from work and you go zip, 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 zip. Just hit four green lights coming home from work. Hashtag blessed. <laughs> right? Hashtag blessed. I made the mistake this week of looking up hashtag, hashtag blessed is on Instagram and Twitter. I don't have Twitter um, and Facebook. That was a big mistake. I mean, women are taking pictures of their bodies and saying, hashtag blessed. I got out of there. A, a woman by the name of Jessica Bennett wrote a piece for the New York Times a number of years ago. She said, blessed is now used to explain that coveted TED Talk invitation as well as celebrate your grandmother's 91st birthday. Blessed has become the go-to term for those who want to boast about an accomplishment while pretending to be humble, fish for a compliment, acknowledge a success without sounding too conceited, or purposely elicit envy. Blessed. When Jesus raised his hands to heaven, 
And before him were these 11 men whom he dearly loved and yet mm, had some problems. What did he do? What did he think? What did he mean when he said whatever he said? Because we're not told. Why is anyone blessed? Is it reward for accomplishment? I was cleaning out my basement office at home a number of months ago, moved it upstairs out of the dungeon. And I came across some newspaper clippings and photographs and and a couple of tickets to a, a soccer game. Yes, it was from 2012. Peckway Valley, boys soccer game, state championship, Hershey, Pennsylvania. And we had a number of guys there. Now, my kids are, were out of soccer long by then, except my son Travis and Matt Graham were helping coach the team. Robbie Martin was head coach. And we had a number of guys from Keystone. Ethan played and Brandon played. Brandon was a keeper and um, uh, Hoover. And then Isaac Moore was here. Who did I miss, guys? Who else was? You know, I think that's about it. And it was incredible. I mean, everything you could imagine or even dream of for a championship game was that game. So end of regulation time, 0-0. And I should mention, Peckway Valley was playing its nemesis, Lancaster Mennonite, for the championship, for all the gold. End of regulation, 0-0, play overtime. Still 0-0. Second overtime. And Isaac Moore somehow found himself in front of the net. And I, I, have, I have a picture of somebody shot. Right after he made the goal, he turned around. He's just beaming. I mean, it was just incredible. And so everybody swarmed out on the field. And then they have the presentation. And what did they get? Trophy, right? That's what sports teams do. They get trophies. They get ribbons. They get prizes. Why? Because they accomplished something. So when Jesus is blessing these disciples, what do you think it was that they accomplished? Was it their great faith? How many times do we read in the Gospels Jesus saying to these guys, why do you have so little faith? It's at least five times. Was it their great insight, their great understanding? On a couple of occasions, Jesus says, why do you have so little understanding? I think the NIV actually says, why are you so dull? (laughs) Always read that and think, hmm, that's kind of harsh. How about the time that Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Remember that? There was was so many shortcomings on these guys' part. One time they tried to cast a demon out of a boy, probably a teenager, and they couldn't. And Jesus says, you corrupt and faithless generation. And when you read it, you might think that he's talking about these other people out here. He's talking to his disciples. And he says, how long must I put up with you? When Jesus was getting arrested, all of them ran off and abandoned him. 
Peter, who promised to go to death with Jesus if he needed to, not only ran away, but then a few hours later, he's in the courtyard outside where Jesus is being interrogated, and he denies he even knows Jesus. Not once, not twice, and three times. After the women tell the disciples that Jesus is raised from the dead, and Thomas says, no, I don't believe it. And at first, Peter says, no, I don't believe it. <laughs> Do you think Jesus was blessing these clowns for some sort of accomplishment? That they were the best of the best? That they were the top guns? I don't think so. Why is anyone blessed? Little word we sang about this morning, G-R-A-C-E. Reward for accomplishment? Grace? I mean, the disciples repeatedly were not winners. You know, among the human race, among people, performance is king. You get promotions, if you perform. You get a raise if you perform. You get the trophy if you perform. You get the ribbon if you perform. That's what happens to winners. What happens to losers is they go home empty-handed in the human world. In God's world, grace is king, not performance. Winners like the rich young ruler go home empty-handed. Like the Pharisees that go home empty-handed while losers go home with their arms full of grace. You look at the people that Jesus blessed while he was here on earth. And not a one of them would made the who's who of anything. Unless you're talking about who's, who's, who's who of prostitutes. Unless you're talking about the who's who of tax collectors. Unless you're talking about the who's who of the scumbags of society or even religion. Look at Romans chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. I think if any verses could stand in as, a, as summary verses for what we've been talking about these last nearly four years, it would be these. Verse 4, when people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. So if you got a paycheck this week or you're going to get a paycheck this week, it's because you worked 40 hours, you worked 50 hours, you worked, you worked hard, you did the job that was asked of you. And so when it came time for the boss to fill out your, sign your check, he didn't sit there thinking, well... Do I like him or her this week? Don't I? I'm, I don't think I'm going to give him money this week. That's not going to work. Why? You're owed that money. You earned that money. You worked for that money. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but there's something that they've earned. They have, they have it coming to them. They put in the time. Now they should get the recompense, the funds. Verse 5, but people are counted as righteous not because of their work, 
but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Let me read that again. People are counted as righteous, not workers. People are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. This is the doctor's cure, right? This is it. This is why there's medicine for the broken heart. What's Jeremiah say? Jeremiah 17, verse 9, the heart is wicked or the heart is deceitful, depending on your translation, above all things. And some translations say desperately sick. Others say beyond cure. (laughs) Except for Jesus. Why is it beyond cure? Because you and I can't do anything about it. If you embark in a self-improvement effort to cure your own heart, good luck. I still look in the mirror sometimes and think, seriously? I haven't got that fixed yet? People are counted as righteous not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. And what does this grace poured out from God unleash in us? Well, in the disciples, it was a grateful response. Look at verse 52. So he says goodbye to them. He blesses them. He's taken up into heaven, what we call the ascension. And here's their response. So they worshiped him and then returned to Jerusalem filled with great joy. And they spent all their time in the temple praising God. I, I find this intriguing. I, this was the man... Jesus, who was their mentor for three and a half years, they ate with him, they taught with him, they healed with him, they went everywhere he went. And when they weren't invited indoors for a night stay, they slept out under the stars with him as well. They made do with what he made do. They probably had fruit thrown at them like was thrown at him in certain villages. He was their go-to guy. They were prepared to die with him. They were prepared to reign with him. For three and a half years, he was their life. And he says goodbye to them and says, I am not going to see you again until I come back. And their response is not have a pity party, go off and mope and feel sorry for themselves. Their response is, yay! Worshiping him. Praising his name. They go back to Jerusalem. They spend all of their time praising God and the temple. Now you might not catch this unless you have an English standard version. As I read to you, it says in verse 50, Jesus led, to Beth- led them to Bethany, lifting up his hand. He blessed them. And then at the end of verse 53, it says they spent all their time in the temple praising God. But if you have an ESV... Instead of praising there, it says bless. And they're spot on because it's the exact same word. Jesus blesses them. They're in the temple blessing God. Eulogeo. Sounds like our word eulogy. And it should because in a eulogy, you salute the person who has passed away. You, You make much of them. Same way with blessing. You make much of them. You salute them. You, you bestow favor on them. 
Jesus did it to his disciples, they now do it to God. They're praising it. This is happy worship. I mean, they're thrilled to give praise and honor and glory to Christ and his Father because of what he has done for them. Now, some, some scholars think that when Jesus stood and stretched his hands out over these people and blessed them, that he was actually conveying to them the good news that his death, burial, and resurrection gave them uh, right standing with, with God the Father. I don't think that Jesus was going to wait six weeks to tell them that. I'm sure he had those conversations long before the final moment when he disappeared into heaven. I think there were other things. We're not told what was in that blessing, but he's, he's bestowing his father's favor, grace upon them, and they now are back at the temple realizing the grace that's been bestowed on them, and they're, they're just giving it back. They're giving their favor back to God, blessing him for what he's blessed them with, for how he's blessed them. This is happy worship. Christian, let me ask you, is that the worship that marks you? When you get together with your family Sunday morning and you're, you're trying to rally the troops together, come on, kids, we hurry up. We're going to be late for church. Got to make sure we're there on time. And this is what we do Sunday morning, what we've always done. You, you ever think about what your answer would be if one of your kids asked you, so, mom, dad, why do we do this? Except for COVID, why do every week we get up and we don't put on our grass-stained jeans? I don't know what that's about, but we put on nicer stuff, a little nicer stuff than play clothes. And every Sunday morning we go and we do this thing. Why do we do this? What would you say? And is it a thought in your head before you arrive? Or is it just you're on autopilot? We get dressed, we brush our teeth, we eat breakfast, we get together with the body of Christ, we sing some songs, we pray, read the Bible, listen to the teaching, and say hi to some people when we go home and we go out to eat at Denny's. Though we don't have a Denny's anymore. <laughs> I wish we did. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you worship? Have you been so captivated by the blessings that God has poured out on you that you can't but worship? That you would, if you could, you would hang out here all the time or other places where other believers are gathered or even by yourself on a, Sunday, on a Monday morning or a Thursday morning. If you had enough time before your work, you would just spend an hour with the Lord because you get it. <laughs> He's blessed you and you can't escape the magnitude of the blessing. Or is it something entirely different? Jesus talks about hollow worship in Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. Quotes the prophet Isaiah. And this is what he says. These people honor me with their lips, but everything else is far from me. Oh, they sing the songs. 
They echo the prayers. But their hearts are far from me. I'm going through the motions. What would you say to your kids? What is it that prompts you to sing? What is it that prompts you to pray? What is it that prompts you to pay attention to God's word? What is it that prompts you to obey God? Is it because you fear retribution? That God's going to zap you with lightning bolts? Or is it the result, the response to the glorious goodness, merciful grace that God has poured out in you, not because you deserve it, but simply because he set his affections on you? Have you been blessed by grace? And if so, is your worship born out of great delight and joy like these disciples? Or is it ritualistic duty? Go through the motions. And why do you think the answer that you come up with is the answer? I want you to turn to Revelation 5. We sung about this this morning. Revelation 5 is a picture of what I call holy worship. It's in heaven. (laughs) I call it holy because as it says in Revelation 22 verse 3, in heaven there's no longer any curse. Won't that be glorious? No longer any temptations. No longer any brokenness in the world, no longer any brokenness in me, no longer any weeds, no lantern flies, no speeding. Some of you are thinking, that doesn't sound like heaven. And flip side, nobody poking along in front of you at 22 mile an hour. The picture in Revelation 5, and John is seeing this all in a vision that Jesus is giving him. And he sees God sitting on his throne holding a scroll, ancient version of a book. And the scroll is sealed shut. And they want to open it, but they have to find someone who's qualified to open it. And the qualifications are high. And a search is made. They search for a qualified person all over earth. They search all over heaven. In fact, they even search under the earth. Not sure what that is. Maybe they're looking among the dead for somebody who qualifies to open the seals. And they can't find nary a person. And John is overcome with grief that of the whole human race of which he is a part of, they couldn't find one person somewhere on planet Earth among some people group that speaks some language that measures up. And not even he who's seeing this amazing vision that Jesus is giving him, not even he qualifies. And he is overcome with shame 
for his human race, and he begins to weep and weep. And an angel comes over and says, don't cry. The Lion of Judah, he is worthy to open the scroll. And all of a sudden, John sees a lamb between the throne and the four living creatures standing there, a lamb that looks like it has been slaughtered. There's some sort of evidence of a wound. There's some sort of evidence that he was horribly mistreated. And the four living creatures and the 24 elders around them fall to their knees and they begin to sing a song that's never been sung before. And these are the lyrics. Verse 9. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God and they will reign on the earth. And then it just gets louder and greater as millions upon millions of angels now join the chorus and they sing as well. Worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. They get it that he is due all of this. But this chorus is not finished yet. And people from all around the planet and wildlife and fish in the sea and songbirds and insects and all the things that God has created. Look at verse 13. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and they sang blessing and honor and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Holy Worship, this is what it's going to be like. And yet it's begun. A shift has taken place from the ritual formalism that began way back in Israel. Look at John chapter 4, and we'll end with this. Jesus is sitting by a well in a place that he's really not welcome. Samaria. He's a Jew. The woman he talks to is not. She's a Samaritan. And they begin having this discussion. If you know the story, you know that she's been married five times and the guy she's living with is not her husband. They're having a discussion about Samaritanism and Judaism. And in verse 21, Jesus replies to her. She's, she's quibbling over how they should worship God. You say worship at Jerusalem. We say worship at Mount Gerizim. Who's really right? Jesus replied, believe me, dear, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Whether you worship in paradise, in Strasbourg, in France, in Alberta, in Pakistan, doesn't matter where you worship. It's not where you worship, it's how you worship. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. Ah, there's the key. 
worship is about the one you worship. It's not where you worship. While we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. Get it? So there's a shift taking place. From hollow worship to holy worship, we're on the way. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. There's debate about what spirit worship means. Does it simply worship mean worshiping God with great joy, an animated, spirited way? Or does it mean worship by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, pushed by the Holy Spirit who fills us and we become so engaged that we can't help but shout to the heavens regardless of what the person behind us thinks? And the answer to is it this or this is yes. And in truth, and we have to reiterate that today probably more than ever, than ever. If you worship a God and you believe false things about God, that's not worshiping him in truth. If you believe false things about what God says about us, you don't worship him in truth. God wants us, our worship to be holy worship. We proclaim his glory and his majesty truthfully and with great delight and great joy like it will one day be in heaven. And he asks us today, won't you start now? What are you waiting for? Have you grasped your incredible, incredible poverty apart from my grace Have you seen the majesty of the gift that has been poured out upon you in Jesus Christ? Do you get it? And if so, let it bubble up with joy. Whether you're with 100 people, 5,000 people or alone in your prayer closet in the morning. Let that be the foundation of your faith as you cry out in gratitude. Because we haven't been rewarded for anything. We've simply been the recipients of grace. Father, we bless your name and the name of the lamb who was slaughtered. Not because he had been had done anything wrong, but just like those Passover lambs that were offered for centuries upon centuries by the Jewish people that their sins might be taken away and the angel of death and judgment might pass over them and avoid their house because the, the blood has been smeared on their doorposts. They are protected by the blood in the same way. The blood of the Lamb of God has taken away the sins of so many of us, not because we were worthy of it, because you are gracious and if we have forgotten to tell you recently we bless you we love you we thank you 